Gresham College presents What About the Children by Piers Heliwell, Gresham Professor of Music. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, very good to welcome you to Gresham again. I'm, uh, I'm just checking that I'm, I'm on. Uh, it, I'm, um, I'm sorry there aren't more of you, but uh, I'm very appreciative of those of you who've braved all the public transport uh, problems to get here. And I'd especially like to welcome our young guests from Camden School and from Collet Court. They're going to play live music for us, which is something we don't often have at Gresham. In fact, we had a concert last night by the Schubert Ensemble here, and there's a link with what we're going to hear this afternoon as well. Before that, I just want to open up some of my thoughts, principally my anxieties about the pressures as well as the opportunities that young players in classical music and young composers face today. Um, I think as I'm ending this series of lectures fairly soon and we've been talking about issues of who owns classical music nowadays, it's natural to look to the future. Before we hear the good news then, I'm going to begin perhaps pessimistically, because I think there's a contradiction that faces artistic trainers at the moment. It relates to our culture of rapid acquisition today, and I think it's a problem that did not confront our predecessors, perhaps not even when I was you know, beginning musical study myself. That contradiction is that mastering a musical instrument or developing a language as a composer of new music requires long submission to training, to abstract logic, uh, abstract patterns. Yet, our youngsters today live in an atmosphere of gratification in which we're constantly being offered uh, faster ways to beg, borrow, download, whatever catches our fancy. Messages about the pain and the rewards of hard graft are not popular and are largely expunged, I think, from fashionable usage. Nonetheless, in sport and in science, we pursue in, that, in the training of those fields an elitism for which we can offer no challenge. Anybody who knows what it's like to try and hit a ball over a net knows that none of us is a Sampras, for example. So we celebrate the prowess and the dedication of champions in those fields. The learning of the research scientist. We're celebrating the learning of the dentist every time we uh, open our mouth for a filling or whatever. At least we hope that there's training and learning there. Um, when it comes to the arts, however, I do not think it's fashionable to applaud and encourage this kind of training. And that's bad news, I think. It's just as important in the arts. Anybody who's ever tried to draw a horse knows that technique is part of, even part of conceptual art. It's something like a flaw, a foundation that we need. Um, and I think that experimentation in any of the artistic fields should not be an alternative to that technique, but something which goes beyond it as a basis. But as I say, in, in sport, in science, we applaud those kind of technical um, 
trainings and that there's signs of dedication. They cut the good guys off from us, the experts. We admire, as it were, the height of the walls that's keeping us out of those fields. And we know that the dedication, for example, if we want to be a doctor or brain surgeon or something, we know what a huge kind of Everest it's going to be, the late nights of study, you know, the shortage of sleep, the exams to take. We know that. But I feel that other areas in British culture are no longer guilt-free in their celebration of superior achievement. In the humanities, languages, history, music, um, in which I work, belief in rigor, I think, has crumbled in recent years under a kind of guilt about specialism and the way it marks out people with special aptitude. Language studies, particularly in the UK, I think are in free fall. I'm very worried in particular about that. Uh, in fact, languages offer a very good parallel with music. I get nightmares about the declining belief in the universities in serious language study. This is because demand for language study has been falling off from the young people, from school leavers, and as a result, universities have been pressured to offer more attractive fare in the form of cultural studies courses, which which, of course, are in, conducted in English and are a lot more attractive um, in many ways than hard grammatical graft. The result, I think, is a kind of cultural tourism that has offered some kind of a life raft to beleaguered language departments in universities, such as my own, but is not the same. And it gives me great concern. Around the country, for example, our Russians, Russian departments have been closing, and they're not alone. I... Uh, noticed a report in the Times Higher Education Supplement last month that the, uh, well, it was announcing the end of an honours degree in German at Stirling University and that there was a threat to Slavonic studies, which is not just one language, it's a group of languages, uh, at Glasgow University, who said they would have to scrutinise what courses were sustainable. Well, we'll return to the notion of sustainability uh, in a minute. But only last week, in fact, I think we noticed this on Tuesday in my talk then about concerts. Uh, the individual person in charge of our UK education system expressed doubts about the worth of intrinsic rather than goal-orientated study, specifically doubts about the worth of doing classics. So I think these are dark days for learning. Not even the man in charge of learning believes that learning, study, is intrinsically worthwhile and enriching in our lives. And... That frightens me. Basic musical grammar training, I'm also frightened about. I think there is a threat that it gives way to a curriculum that reflects what is familiar, maybe not to, to you guys as um, people at school at the moment, because the very fact that you're here suggests that you have adventurous and committed music departments who are not only uh, willing to do new things and go into new territory, but positively committed to it. But I don't think that's typical, I'm afraid. Um, the message threatens to be, if it's hurting, it ain't working. Undoubtedly, a class may have more fun with, or as the expression goes, more clearly relates to much of what is in the curriculum at the time. But I don't think that education is just about snuggling into what we know. It's about confronting what we do not know. And that's another reason why I think Chamber Music 2000 is a fantastic project, because it is about coming up against something you don't know and didn't know, and hopefully maybe getting more out of it at the end, even if it maybe still seems weird. Who knows? But if we limit the curriculum only to what we, that to which we already relate at the time, no one will learn anything. 
Again, in sciences, we accept that education is about finding out how things work, something we take for granted uh, also in the sciences. It's not just learning about you know, what is out there, but how does it work? Take it to bits, find out about it. There is an argument, of course, that something for everyone is better than serious amounts for some people. And certainly the prize of more hands-on musical involvements in the lives of people, specifically of young people, is such a great prize, it's so enriching, I believe, that big risks are taken to widen musical participation. And, you know, I would obviously welcome, in theory, the prospect of broadening musical access, um, particularly for children. But it will not be broader, I believe, if it merely plays in the classroom what is heard outside it. So that's a concern that I have, certainly. It comes down to whether artistic practice is held to be aspiring to a degree of specialism, like, as I mentioned earlier, dentistry, or whether it's to encourage communal grazing, like eating, for example. Both would be better. Art cannot function without an element of specialist technique, as I said, but it has areas in which that isn't a barrier. It has areas that we now recognize as being really fulfilling to non-specialists. Um, there is no exact correlation between technical achievement and, uh, and scales and arpeggios and so on and the fulfillment that you get out of music. That We know this from work with amateur groups and things. It's not as simple as that. But I think what is needed is a balance between access to simple musical activity for people who lack maybe aptitude or time or inclination to master an instrument in a very detailed way and on the other hand, support and respect for the mechanisms and the sacrifices of time and money that, for example, parents have to make for people to practice instruments very seriously. And I worry that that doesn't happen in many parts of our society. Someone, obeying our priorities or somebody else's, has um, allowed technique, for example, to dwindle in musical curriculum, I think. And this limits the options for young people to specialise. Music has left the national curriculum for 14 plus and of course was followed last month by languages to be replaced by hairdressing and tourism. All these are part of uh, a move to make education vocational, to gear it to what you're going to do next. That is fine, but I don't believe that is the whole story about what education is. In Finland, for example, a network of 10 specialist schools around the country offers advanced training to the young people who happen to be especially good at music and very motivated. Uh, my experience at one of these schools told me that these students still have time for very detailed study of English and Swedish, which is the other national language, French and Finnish itself, in school. And this system doesn't mean that there's no music for people in other schools that are not specialist music schools. Um, something they did uh, recently, I think, indicates this as part of a recent drive to um, raise the profile of the national instrument of Finland, which is a kind of zither called the cantile, which comes in different sizes. Um, as part of this, they distributed 4,000 of these little cantile things, one to each primary school in the whole of the country. Here, that might happen with computers, but you cannot imagine it happening for, um, as a musical drive. As uh, my guest on Tuesday said, John Tusa, uh, when he was saying about a musical education project um, which had involved children from very 
um, badly funded schools in East London, these children had not chosen to play the instruments they were playing, but they were ending up with French horns and uh, double basses and things, and they were madly in love with the instruments they were playing. They hadn't started with them. Those were the only instruments they could get. And he said, can you imagine the government having an initiative to promote French horn playing in Hackney or whatever? They wouldn't know what a French horn was, and yet it would be thought to be politically uh, advantageous to encourage bass guitar playing, for example. Now, I've nothing against bass guitar playing, being um, somebody who always wished I could play it myself. But the point is that you have to offer people the real range of options. It's no good for, for, for political ends trying to offer people an, an, a narrowed range of trendy options in order to seem as if you're in touch and other kind of dubious um, political motivations, I think. I think we get the priorities that we dictate. I'm sure that all Finnish schools have computers as well, but they thought that music of some sort was important enough to distribute an instrument to every school. I get the feeling that countries that are that serious about education do, of necessity, pay higher taxes than we do. But it, it follows from what I feel, from my experience of university students, is a fading in technique teaching in schools that university courses which is the next stage for you guys when you leave school, the university courses built upon these techniques will shrink and wither away because students will shy away from courses for which they feel ill-equipped, and they're quite right. The Minister for Higher Education has been reported as saying that higher education courses attracting unsustainable numbers, it's that word again, unsustainable, attracting unsustainable numbers will or may come under threat. This gives us a chilling new formula for the survival of skills, I think. By definition, no minority training will survive because worth will be measured purely in terms of mass participation and revenue. <coughs> Again, on Tuesday, uh, my guest um, and I talked about the folly of measuring how classical music is received in our society purely in terms of numbers. They never measure the the depth of enrichment for society, how important it is to somebody who doesn't go to anything to hear live music in a place where there aren't many concerts. They only measure numbers of people buying tickets. That seems to be the only calibration, and it's so misleading. In my role as a university teacher, which is my day job, I have glimpsed the grim workings of this trickle-up philistinism. If you imagine my music department offering two fictional courses, one would be called the ideas of Schoenberg, and the other would be called Jazz in the Concert Hall. These are the kind of courses that we do um, anyway. I can predict from long experience that the former, the Schoenberg one, would attract maybe a quarter of the numbers for the latter, the Jazz in the Concert Hall. If I asked you guys you know, which you would sign for, maybe those, that would be your priorities. I don't know. Um, but if, as a result, we then didn't run the Schoenberg course, and this was replicated nationally, um, it would, if that disappeared from that course, I would argue that one of the most explosive periods in the history of ideas is vanishing from the curriculum. And that is bad news for the students. Students are not, uh, their job is not to choose, is not to dictate what the curriculum it is, because then they're going to learn. So it's the job of people who make these things to say, well, we think this is important, so uh, we're putting it on offer. But these things will disappear. And then what will be offered to students will be a flawed program. In the middle of all this, composing music that was not there before is a very vulnerable creature, a kind of cultural hedgehog on a busy highway, I think. As a creation that is 
in itself useless, I mean, music does not do anything like metalwork, it is particularly vulnerable in this current climate, which does not understand intrinsic worth. Ask not what we can do for the arts, goes the thinking, but what the arts can do for us. Apparently, for example, we can help business to be more productive, according to a recent Green Paper in 2001. But that should not and must not be accepted as the justification for the survival of the arts. For all information, please go to our website at www.gresham.ac.uk.